Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to episode 193 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the power of the three weeks buildup and one week recovery. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational, and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners, and welcome to episode 193. My name is Letty. My name is Ryan. And we are the hosts of the Marathon Running Podcast, the weekly podcast where you learn about all things running. Welcome back if you are a long-term listener. And hello, and thank you for tuning in if you are new. Thank you for all the feedback that we get. Please give us feedback. Let us know what you like or don't like. And it's, uh, I think one of my biggest inspirations to do this is like hearing that it helps people. I think that's really awesome. Yes, I agree. That's always nice to get that feedback and know that someone out there is listening. Thank you for answering Ryan's trivia last week. Pinky and the Brain was the winner. And I saw some of you guys commenting on that on Spotify before I accidentally, I don't know, I I, I guess I deleted it. I can't find it anymore. But <laughs> You can't give shout outs now? I can't give shout outs, but you who commented, thank you, we appreciate it. The reference was Pinky and the Brain, yes. So there's people out there that are as old as me. <laughs> so this episode is sponsored by UCAN, which is a company that sells energy supplements for runners. So Letty, can you tell us how you learned about UCAN? Yeah, so I'd heard about UCAN in the past. I know that they sell all sorts of things for runners, as you said, gels, bars, powders, and electrolytes. And so I started trying them out in November as with the purpose of shifting my strategy when it comes to nutrition, because I've never really fueled any of my runs very much. I would just pick up whatever gel there was and didn't really pay attention to it. But for this training for Tokyo, which is coming up, I decided to do it a little bit different and I've been consistent with them. And I figured why not trust them if Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates and Kiara D'Amato, all top American female runners, trust them. Um, so did you like it so far? So far, I really like it. This is the first time, like I said, I've been consistent with any type of fueling. Um, usually I haven't been. And what I do like about the gels is the taste of them. It's very chalky and not too sweet. I feel like you can run low mileage with all sorts of fuel and 
usually when you hit mile 10 and up, it tastes different because your, you know, your taste buds, I guess, are different after you've done some strenuous running for a while. And with you, can it's something that I can definitely keep down, which is important. <laughs> that is important. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so then I've been using them. I've been using their pre-workout drinks too. And I've been feeling pretty strong. So, so far, so good. So one of the benefits of sponsorship and what most people probably want to know is sometimes you can get discounts if you sponsor with them. Did you manage to arrange any discounts? I did. Absolutely. If I like a product, I would love to share it with our listeners if they are struggling to figure out their nutrition game. So if you go to youcan.co forward slash MRP, Marathon Running Podcast, you can get a pack of four for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping. And then if you've already experienced with UCAN and you're a fan, then we also have a discount code MRP, which stands for Marathon Running Podcast, for a 20% off on your order. So if anyone's interested in mixing up their nutrition, you should give it a try and let us know if you like it or not. Some of the things I like about them, um, just from looking at it, which I haven't really had a chance to try anyway because Letty's hogging it so far. But <laughs> what I've noticed is main the main carb source is from like a cornstarch, which is kind of interesting too. That's why it tastes so chalky, yeah. And I, I do like that chalky taste. I feel like it's very mild on your stomach. But I think we're going to have a whole episode next week on energy metabolism and all that interesting stuff that I don't know nothing about at this point, where we can maybe ask the interviewee some questions specifically about this gel and how that works with the slow release carbohydrates and I guess fast release carbohydrates. I don't know. And I'm super curious about what can work and why and how. So stay tuned for that. So today's podcast. Yes, today's podcast, we are talking about a topic, which is recovery phases in a training block. Um, Ryan, you've heard me talk about that in the past. I've been very lucky to have been coached by someone who normally coaches elites from the 80s, but he never really did a lot of recovery weeks in his trainings that he prescribed to me. And now that I've been dipping into different type of training methods just to learn what else is out there, I find that a lot of coaches prescribe workouts where you have this circle of three weeks on and then have a week for recovery. So we're going to talk about having training set up that way where you have that specific recovery week. I know you've been doing that so far. How do you like it so far? I actually have loved it because I feel like when I was being coached by my previous coach, having consistent high mileage was one, getting me super fatigued and two, more than anything, the mental burnout for me was high. So I would do 70 mile weeks, probably a month and a half out of the marathon and then when I would get closer to a month, I would just be done. I would literally come up with any kind of overuse injury just to get away <laughs> from that. So I don't even know if those ovary injuries were really that bad, but a lot of it was also mental. Whereas now that I'm following something that is more three weeks on, you know, 70 plus miles in that last week, I feel strong. And then I really look forward to the down week that follows that. It'll be interesting to see how you feel as you get closer to the marathon date because this is the first time you've been trying it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, um, well, I am currently in a down week and then I have three more weeks of 
very high miles and then I have the tapered time. But so far, it's been great to have that just from a mental standpoint and also looking at my Garmin. And again, that comes with a, you know, how do you say it comes with a grain of salt? You don't know if you should trust the Garmin or not. But my Garmin has been saying my VO2 max has been going up and it says on there your lighter load helps you recover and get stronger. The Garmin actually told me that. So I was like, thank you, Garmin. This is great. It does make sense to take some breaks every once in a while. You know, it's interesting. The timing of those breaks is probably, you know, something that they've researched or had and know more about. Uh, otherwise, you know, it'd be very difficult to, what's the, what's the perfect amount of timing, you know, in terms of breaks versus challenging yourself and, and growing. So you grow, take a break, grow, take a break. It'll be interesting to see if that changes over time or it stays three weeks and one week. So you have Chris Knighton on again, right? Yes. Chris Knighton is our expert guest for this. And he writes training programs that have that three weeks on and one week off, obviously, depending on who his athlete is, right? Yeah. So what did you get into during your conversation? Yeah. So we just hopped deeper into what happens to your body physiologically during that recovery phase. We talked about adaptations. We talked about how much your mileage could be reduced during that down week and what to expect during that down week, what you could do. Should you do more strength training? Should you do cross training? What What about your nutrition and that sort of thing? So um, really interesting stuff. You want to get into it? Yeah. So without further ado... We are now going to play our conversation with Chris Knighton. All right. So I'm back on with Chris Knighton. Chris, thank you. And welcome back. Hey, lady. Thanks for having me back on the show again. I always enjoy being here. I know you've become a very frequent uh, person because, you know, you have very good advice and our listeners always appreciate that as if you don't know that, but I'm sure you do. And today we bring you on to talk about the topic of recover weeks or down weeks, as you call Mm -hmm. them, Um, you know, those weeks that will happen after you do some up weeks. But I'll let you explain that maybe a little bit better. And uh, yeah, so perhaps you can tell us a little bit of how, where those down weeks come from or when they come in. Sure. So I'm going to, we're probably going to use two different terms interchangeably during this podcast. Um, So the term down week and the term recovery week, these both are the same thing when we're talking about them today. And basically the idea here is that over the course of your training, you're going to have some weeks that are higher mileage and higher intensity. And then you're going to have some weeks that are lower mileage and lower intensity. And there's many reasons for having these so-called down weeks. So I'll kind of get into what those are. Um, I, I by no means invented this, but the reason why I started putting them into the training plans that I write for my athletes is, is for many reasons. Um, when I first started coaching, I would typically you know, just gradually increase people's mileage over time. You know, you listeners to the show have probably heard of things like the 10% rule where they, where it's suggested that maybe you can increase your mileage by about 10% every single week. And, you know, over the course of training, you may just gradually build up, build up, build up, build up. But what I realized after maybe my first year or two of coaching is there's so many benefits, both mentally and physically to every let's say roughly after every three weeks of training to take one down week um, before you then go up to higher mileage in the following week. Um, So, 
you know, we, we can talk during the show about how to structure them, how much lower my, your mileage should be, how much lower your intensity should be. We can kind of get into all of the, the, the benefits of doing this. Um, where would you like to start, Letty? Yeah, so so basically we're talking about those weeks that are between those blocks of higher intensity. And uh, I guess we could start by talking about this arbitrary number of being three to four weeks. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, when there's coaching plans out there, unless you are directly working with a coach who knows whether you are an 18-year-old boy or mm-hmm. a 70-year-old lady, you know, mm-hmm. that coach will know you and will know how much time you need at what point between what training blocks. But mm-hmm. maybe talk to us where that number of three to four weeks ballpark kind of comes from to begin with. Sure. So I, that's the number that I settled on. And the reason why is 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 because, frankly, I want to help my athletes stay healthy and avoid injury while enjoying this sport for as long as possible. Training at a high level, doing speed workouts, tempo runs, higher mileage, that kind of thing, and, you know, pushing your body to the limit is physically demanding. And, you know, we all know that sometimes, despite our best intentions, we get hurt from running or we encounter setbacks. So to help alleviate my athletes potentially getting hurt and reduce the chances of that, I started putting down weeks into their training program. You know, I wanted to keep them healthy. So proactively, whether they're feeling good or bad, I just figured, hey, after every three weeks of training, let's do an easy week. There's a lot of reasons for this. So one thing to keep in mind is that, and I think runners often forget this, is that workouts do not in and of themselves make us stronger. Workouts tear our body down, you know, damage the muscles and damage our cells, um, cause stress on our bones, you know, lower our immune system, all these sort of things that are actually bad for our body. But then when we rest afterwards, our body recovers and it grows back stronger. So one of the big benefits of having these down weeks is after, let's say, three weeks of hard training, you get a week that's very, very easy and it's almost like a little taper inside your your overall training cycle where you can fully rest that week, grow stronger and get better and get better and stronger and more prepared for what's to come next. The reason why I chose three weeks, so norm, normally for the average athlete, um, if you're listening to the show, I would say you want to do three weeks of normal training, uh, workouts, normal mileage, followed by one, one down week. So that creates a four-week cycle, three weeks high, one week low, and then you repeat that, three weeks high, one week low. Sometimes I do two, as an alternative, I do two weeks high, one week low, two weeks high, one week low. This could be perhaps for an athlete, maybe maybe a master's athlete, someone over the age of 50 perhaps, um, maybe even in their 40s, or, or just anyone who thinks that they need extra recovery. Um. You know, if if maybe you think that you've been injury prone in the past, this could also be a good option for you. It's really just something to experiment with. And then, you know, sometimes it does make sense to push it a little bit. So I will sometimes do four weeks of hard training followed by one recovery week. You know, I may do this like at the end of 
a marathon training cycle, for example. Maybe you've been following the three-week high, one-week low cycle for a few months, but then in your peak month, right before your taper begins, maybe you do four weeks, so a full month at your highest mileage, and then you taper. This is extending the period of high intensity, and, and you know maybe this is pushing the boundaries and, and a little bit more risky, but you know there may be times that you think that's worth it. So you know, with caution and timed rightly, maybe you could do a full month or four weeks of high intensity. Um, but you just want to experiment with this sort of stuff and be careful with it. Um, usually, even for my my youngest athletes, so I'm a high school coach as well. Even my youngest athletes, I do like to give them a a down week after every three weeks. Uh, even though they recover so quickly, you know, people in their twenties listening to this, you recover a lot quicker than I do in my mid thirties, but still, I think just to be proactive, it's good to do more than three hard weeks followed by an easy week. And, um, that's kind of where the number came from. You know, it's, uh, it just seems to work. Yeah. And I, I can only attest to the mental break that you were mentioning earlier. As you know, I've been kind of following your uh, suggestions when it comes mm -hmm. to marathon training. And I've really ramped up the mileage this time around. And I honestly feel like the only reason I was able to upkeep this high mileage was because there was this low intensity, mm -hmm. um, you know, cutback week in sight. So that helps you get there because there is a, you know, it's not this huge 12 week training block where there is never a break. And then you can yep. focus on really doing your workouts better, knowing that you're going to have a little bit of time to relax. And it gets you excited again for the next uh, block of hard miles. Um, so yeah, I wanted to attest to that, but you also mentioned that this is there, this uh, week is implemented to keep you healthy. Maybe can mm -hmm. you tell us, not just what keeps you healthy, but also what other psycho physiological adaptations occur in our bodies that will help us get stronger, why this happens. Yeah. So, so if you think of the four week cycle that I was explaining, so you have your three hard weeks followed by your one easy week. I generally keep people's mileage pretty constant during that three hard weeks. So let's just suppose you're going to be running 35 miles a week during your hard weeks. And then, you know, what, let's say we cut that by about, uh, I don't know, 25% during the down week. So in the down week, let's say you're doing 20, it would be like 26 miles. So the first week of that cycle where you're doing 35 miles, let's say that that's the first time you've done 35 miles before. Previous to this, maybe you're doing 30. Now you've bumped up to 35 that first week is going to be pretty hard on your body. Your body's going to be adapting to the added stress. You're running more than you've ever done before. So, you know, that's going to stress your full skeletal muscular system. Um, you know, mentally, you're going to have to adjust to like being out there more and getting comfortable with that. Um, you may feel a little tired in that first week of training more so than you did in the previous four week cycle. By the time you get to the second week of doing 35 miles, um, you've already been through a full week of it. Your your body is starting to adapt to it, um, but you know it's still a little bit challenging. Once you get to that third week, by this point, you've already done it for two weeks in a row. So hopefully by this point, your body is getting pretty well adapted to it. Um, 
and and by this point you're like okay good i can run 35 miles i'm confident with this and like it doesn't feel too hard on my body but that said by the end of that three weeks you've now run three weeks of 35 miles which in this hypothetical example is the most you've ever run and you've maybe been doing one or two workouts a week plus a plus a long run so you've really done a three-week block of training that's the hardest you've ever done for anyone who's listened to an episode of Marathon Running Podcast about the taper, I think I think we've done one, me and you, Letty. We talked about all the benefits of the taper. So then when you taper, this is when you reduce your mileage and it allows your, your full fitness to come out for what comes at the end of the taper. Often when we're training really hard, our full fitness is suppressed. So um, when we're doing hard workouts, when we're doing higher mileage, we actually can't run to the best of our ability because we're so just tired from the cumulative fatigue of all that hard work. When you then take the down week and you drop your mileage by, let's say, roughly 25%, you, during that week, kind of go through a taper. You Your body adapts. Um, so your body gets a bit of a rest. So you're not running as much. So you know, everything can start to heal. And as it heals, it starts to grow stronger. Um, because you're running 25% less or so, you're, you're, you become, to, you start to freshen up a little bit, you start to feel good. And hopefully by the end of that week, you're recovered and you're at a stronger point than you have ever been in the past four weeks. And you're kind of, peaked and ready to then take on the next block of training, which may be even harder. So that that rest week has given you a, a, a time to adapt fully to the training, to rest, to recover, to grow, grow stronger. And then by the end of it, maybe you're able to take on maybe five miles more. So maybe you could go from 35 to 40 miles a week. And now you're ready for three weeks hard at 40 miles. And then that cycle just kind of repeats, you know, for four or five months or however long your, your training cycle is before you taper. Um, that's kind of a, at a high level, how it works. Okay. That's great. So basically that resting will allow your body to heal because you're not using specific muscles as much and, you know, they're, they're allowed to grow muscle fibers adapt and mm -hmm. you get stronger. Yep. And it's not long enough to really to lose any fitness at all. So typically when someone tapers before their goal race, I cut their mileage by like 50%, so like half. But in these down weeks, I only cut it by eh, 20 to 25%. So it's not that much. You're not dropping it that much, but you're dropping it enough to give your body the rest and recovery that it needs while maintaining your fitness and and um, getting physically stronger and, and mentally get a little bit of a break from those hard workouts so that then you feel ready to then take them on when they come back in the following week. Okay, perfect. So as to that number that you just mentioned and mentioned earlier about 25, 20 to 25% mm -hmm. of a reduction, where is mm -hmm. that number coming from? What if you want to rest more than that? How is that going to affect you? Is it just to not lose fitness or, um, you know, what, what number does it really matter? Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you can play with it, you know, and, and this number, uh, 
where does it come from? I don't know. It just kind of seems to work. Uh, you know, someone can take, someone can, as we know from like the taper phase, you know, if someone reduces their mileage by half for, a, you know, 10 days before their marathon, for example, they're going to be in a peak level of fitness and able to run the best marathon in their life. You know, I, I, some of the things I've seen online going through a proper taper before a marathon might be able to improve your performance by, you know, up to 5% or something like that. So it makes a pretty big difference versus, you know, not tapering and being tired. So we know that tapering allows you to peak and reach a full level of fitness and run faster than had you not done it. So we know that resting and running less is not for a short period of time for like 10 days to two weeks is not going to make you lose any fitness. It's actually going to help you. So if we apply this logic to the down week in the middle of a training cycle, and we know that um, we're not even going to go like 10 days or two weeks, we're going to just do a week. So just one week. So that's even less time. So it's less time to lose fitness. Um, So you're not going to lose fitness. We know that. And, um, you know, we don't want to have your body fully go into like a state of tapering. We just kind of want to reduce what you're doing a little bit um, to give you a bit of a physical break and and a good mental break. So that's kind of where that 25% number comes from. Um, You know, it's enough to make a difference. Um, but not so much that it's going to like totally screw up your normal routine. You're not going to, you're not going to feel like people sometimes do in the taper where they feel like they're being super lazy and they're not doing anything. Um, you're, you know, the down week is, is going to feel kind of like a normal week. You're just running a little bit less rather than doing full workouts. Maybe you're just doing things like strides or hill repeats, um, short ones, nothing that intense or long. And, um, yeah, that's where that 25% number comes from. Um, you know, sometimes what I'll do is I'll reduce. So I usually look at the week on like a Monday to Sunday schedule. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll just take that first five days, like the work week, Monday to Friday, and I'll reduce those runs, make them a lot shorter for my athletes. And then by the time they get to the weekend, they'll do kind of like a normal length long run. Um, but the total mileage of the week is roughly 25% less. And yeah, I don't know, just based on my experience, that seems to work pretty well. People like it, but you can definitely play with it a bit if you want. Yeah. And I think I also feel like having that reduction in mileage and then having those shorter runs during the week makes you very confident because at that point you're used to doing a lot longer runs and then having that reduction Mm -hmm. makes you feel like, Oh, this is nothing. I just have to go out there for a little bit. It's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, it, the mental side of it is huge. Like, I remember when I was training for for Chicago, um, <laughs> one of the things that I decided for myself is like, the shortest run I'm going to do is 10 miles. <laughs> and that felt like a lot. I mean, for like, for me to run 10 miles, I mean, that's a 75 to 80 minute run. So I was doing at least that every single day. So that's a lot. And, um, when I would have these recovery weeks, I was like, okay, I'm only going to, I'm only going to run for like an hour today or, or 50 minutes instead of, you know, uh, 80 or something. So it felt, it felt good when that came around. And then was it hard for you to get back into the regular schedule or were you at that point just regimented and kind of excited again to get going? 
Yeah. Yeah. Excited to get, again to get going. I mean, that's sort of the point too. Like, um, I think we've done an episode about the importance of taking time off after your marathon. And one of the big reasons for that is like, you know, I fully, I don't think that anyone can go full throttle, be a hundred percent engaged and excited about training super hard 24, seven, 365 and taking that rest after a marathon allows you to kind of get bored and excited again. The down weeks kind of do that in the middle of training as well. Like you were saying, rather than having like 12 weeks that are super intense in a row and it's like, wow, I'm never going to get a break. You know, instead you have three weeks that are pretty hard, you know, you enjoy them. And then hopefully by the time those are done, you're ready for a little bit of a break, but then you take that break. And by the end of it, you're then ready for hard training again. So that's a big reason why I do this too. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. So besides having time or extra time to catch up on work, what should athletes do or not do? And specifically when it comes to their cross training and also mm -hmm. their eating, because obviously if you've been running high mileage, your hunger is at a different level. And then suddenly yep. you're into that taper week, but you're still just as hungry. So maybe address... um the nutrition first and then perhaps a little bit about cross training and strength training if you should switch anything up sure yeah so um nutrition um yeah nutrition's a really interesting subject with distance running you're, you're right so like you know the the recommendations i would give for an athlete really kind of depend on how much they're running and you know i'm not certified as a nutritionist or anything but i have general knowledge You know, someone who's running 70 miles a week, 10 miles a day is going to have very different nutritional needs than someone who's running like 20 miles a week. Um, it, it, there's this ballpark figure that every mile you run, it's like 100 calories. So if you're running 10 miles a day, that's an extra thousand calories a day. You just need to replenish from running. I find that people who are running very high mileage or what, you know, let's say over 50 a week or something. Um <sighs> Sometimes you can get away with just like, like the most important thing is just eating enough. It doesn't necessarily matter what you eat as long as you eat enough. Generally, carb-rich foods are good. Healthy foods are good. As many whole foods um, and fruits and vegetables and healthy proteins as you can get are good. Um, but sometimes it's just a matter of making sure you're eating enough. People who are running, uh, I don't know, I would say 30 miles a week or less, um, may not be... It, it may not be such a demand on your body where you need to necessarily be trying to eat that much more. I mean, certainly you should, but I don't know. I would just, I would try not to change what you're doing too much in the recovery week. I would try to kind of honor the principle of being in a recovery week. The goal of that week is to recover. So if you can make healthier choices during that week, prioritize healthier foods, um, plenty of good hydration, plenty of sleep, that kind of thing. I think it's, it's important. Um, and then, you know, and you are running less, right? So you, you maybe want to make sure that you're getting better quality food because you're not necessarily burning through as much. Um, and then when you're in your high mileage weeks and your body's just like craving energy, you know, maybe you can cut loose with what you're eating a little bit. <laughs> um, I certainly do that. Um, cause you know, it's just, you just need enough to fuel yourself when you're running hard. Um, But the recovery aspect, yeah, really try to be good to yourself and what you're eating. Um, the same with cross training, I would say, again, kind of honor the principle of it being the recovery week. So 
recovery weeks are a great time to do more cross training. Like I always tell my athletes, you know, so you enter your recovery recovery week. Um, earlier I was talking about how, you know, we try to take like 25% mileage down and lower the intensity, but the whole purpose of this week is to feel recovered and ready for the harder training that's going to come in the following week. So if you have any niggles, any injury, any sickness, um, you know, if it's a crazy week with your personal life or something, this is a great week to cross train or like just let your training go a little bit and neglect it. Um, Obviously, being consistent is extremely important, but we know, you know, even taking a full week off of running, you're not really going to lose much fitness. Um, so the point of the recovery week is to recover. So do what you need to do in the recovery week to feel your best in the next week. That's the most important point. Okay, perfect. And I guess my last question is, and it kind of goes along with what happens during taper, whether it's mm -hmm. mental or actually happening to our bodies, we feel achy and things yeah. hurt that didn't hurt before while we're running in our third week of that hard training block and we feel strong. Maybe during the recovery week, for some reason, we don't feel that same way. Can you maybe explain how and why that happens? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I, th I think during the taper, um, sometimes people feel that way. For, for, I mean, really two reasons. First, like it comes at the very end of a training cycle. You've, if you've been pushing yourself and doing more than you've ever done before, like you have this huge amount of work that that's in your body still. And we, I call this cumulative fatigue that you are letting go of during the taper. Like The point to get to be that your best in a marathon, you know, the the whole point of training is to, to to run your best is to push your body like as close to your breaking point without breaking yourself as possible. Obviously, you don't want to get hurt, but like you know what I mean. You want to push yourself so hard right before the taper that like you're ready to be done, but you don't hurt yourself. And then during the taper, you back off and you say, okay, I've done all that I can do. And now I'm just going to rest and let my full fitness emerge and let go of all this fatigue and stress that I've built up during training. And that's a pretty big transition, especially if the taper is pretty short. You'll sometimes see people do a longer taper, like three weeks, four weeks, and it can be more gradual. And I don't know, but I generally keep the taper kind of short, like two weeks max. And There's techniques that you can do to not feel like you were saying sluggish or achy. You know, I think a lot of people maybe do the taper not as good as they could. Things that can help is like maintain your frequency of running. Don't skip days, just run sh less mileage each day. 
um, run the same speeds. Don't slow down just because it's the taper, like go the same speed. Um, you're just running less mileage each day. And, uh, you know, paying attention to, like we were saying, eating healthy foods, hydration, sleep, all this stuff, I think it can help. But I mean, I think it's, I don't know. It's just kind of normal that after you've been doing this huge workload and then you cut it by like 50% and your body's recovering and growing, I have a kid now, growing pains. <laughs> my, my daughter's teething. It's painful for her. <laughs> Maybe it's painful for us when we're getting stronger because we had all this, uh, th- these hard workouts and long runs that we did and now we're not. I'm not sure, but that's kind of, I think, why we feel it during the taper. Um, but during the recovery weeks, you, I don't think this is a normal feeling because you're not, tr- you're not changing it too drastically. Like it's only 25% reduction. It's not 50, you know, it's, it's, it's much less drastic of a change. And, um, it's so short, you know, uh, I think the taper sometimes is so long for people, like even when it's 10 days, a week and a half or two weeks, that feels like a long time, but a one week recovery week, especially if you do a pretty good long run at the end of that still, like it goes by pretty quick. Uh, so honestly, people, I would just say one last thing on this. Um, during the taper, I always hear that people always say like, Oh, I feel sluggish. Oh, I don't feel good. Oh, makey, whatever. I don't think anyone really ever tells me that during a recovery week. Like I usually check in with my athletes. I'm like, how are you doing? Are you enjoying this recovery week? And they're like, yep, yep, I am. <laughs> so I just think it's a different feeling and experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, also, we don't have a, the doubt and, and all that that we have going on, what we have during the oh, table yeah. where we tend to overanalyze everything. Good point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So thank you, Chris, so much for coming on. And then um, again, just let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you if they have any follow-up questions or if they're interested in coaching. Yeah. So um, you can find everything I do on my website, nightandruns.com. And if you're listening to this, uh, the best way to really stay in touch with what I do and learn about my my process for coaching is to uh, sign up for my email list where I'll send you a free copy of my uh, book. If you go to nightandruns.com slash book, you can sign up there. I have a, I have a uh, preview edition of my book where you can learn more about how we incorporate these down weeks into your training and so much more when getting ready for the marathon. And you'll stay in touch with everything that I'm doing with my training plans, coaching. But yeah, that email list is the best way to connect with me. And reading my book is a great way to get an introduction to what I do. So hope you'll check it out. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Letty. Thank you, Chris, for hopping on with us. We appreciate you as always. And big thanks for elaborating on this topic. Hopefully, if anyone has any questions, they can reach out to us or to you directly. So hopefully this information can help people fine tune their training in order to not only have better mental health, but also hopefully physical health too. And then next week, we'll talk more about nutrition. Yes, the metabolic process and fuel transitioning and all that stuff that a lot of us really don't know what goes on. And I think that's going to be a super helpful episode because, you know, it's kind of like mental training. You don't really know what's going on in there. And I'm pointing at my head. Same with your guts. You don't know what's going on, why, what happens. But if we inform ourselves with that sort of stuff, we're armed to take it to the next level, hopefully. And with that, Have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. 
For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week. Thank you.